Well, today we're continuing a series as we look in the Gospel of Mark. We're looking at those last few chapters as we work to our way towards Easter. We're looking at exactly what Jesus taught his disciples. And, you know, this was a, like an interesting time for them. This is an interesting time for Jesus. The transition is about to happen, and he is moving on. Do you like getting ready for what's next? Do you like getting ready for trips? We've all been hearing about this wonderful Alaska vacation. <laughs> now we're all jealous. And we know that the mission team, Rachel and the, the students, just ha- headed out. Um, do, do, you, do you get ready for your trip? Do you make lists of what you're supposed to bring? And especially if you haven't been somewhere before, you make that kind of like, okay, what do I need to go on this, I don't know, maybe it's a cruise, or what do I need to do, have to go on a camp out? What should I be prepared for? What's going to come? Well, Jesus actually spent some time trying to help his disciples be ready for what's next and what is to come. But interestingly enough, Jesus took this moment to prepare us for what is to come. So let's begin in Mark chapter 13. Um, Let's begin there with verse 1. It says, as Jesus was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, look, teacher, What massive stones, what magnificent buildings. Do you see all these great buildings, he replied, Jesus replied. Not one stone here will be left on another. Every one of them will be thrown down. In verse 3, and Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple. Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, tell us. When will these things happen? And what sign will be the sign that they are to be fulfilled? Well, we'll stop there for a second. This is an interesting moment. Jesus was there in Jerusalem. He was there around this Passover feast time. He's there and it's drawing very near to his crucifixion and his resurrection. His disciples, uh, who most of whom were from the northern regions, in fact, all except Judas, tended to be Galileans. These were people that sort of lived more in the country. These were people that lived in the northern sort of smaller cities, not in the capital of Jerusalem. When they had come there, they began to just sort of marvel. Even though they had probably been there many times, it was still just a thrill to see the big buildings. Do you kind of get that every once in a while? New York City people, anybody in New York City, you got made those trips? Some of you no. I like New York City. It's big. It's fun. It's exciting. D.C., anybody going to the, you like the D.C.? I, I enjoy going to the mall and seeing the, Truly magnificent buildings. I mean, it really is kind of a a national pride. You kind of stand up a little taller. You look a little straighter. It's like, look at the stones. Herod the Great was known as Herod the Builder. He had um, beautified the temple. He had expanded the temple grounds. They had used stones that were quite honestly enormous to build huge foundations to extend the temple out. And really the place looked incredible. It had to shine. It hadn't worn out yet. It was still sort of new in its magnificence. The temple had to be truly a beautiful place. And as these followers of Jesus saw the sight, they were moved to worship. Kind of like us when we were in a cathedral or we're in a place that just points us towards God. They were moved and said, look at these, these incredible stones, these incredible buildings. Look at this achievement that God has blessed 
the people of God, even though they were enduring persecution, even though the Romans had conquered, our buildings are still here. There's still a place for pride. Later, as they, as they get back, or Jesus' first response is, not one stone will be left on another. These are all going to be destroyed. These are all going to be torn down. And the disciples were hit with sort of a, that's kind of a bummer. I mean, you know, that's kind of a negative. That's kind of a, Jesus, I think you're missing the point here. We, we were kind of celebrating. But it did kind of disturb them. When is this going to happen? What's going to happen? And in verse 3, they have moved across the valley. They've left the city, and they've gone up on the mountainside overlooking. And Andrew, Peter, James, the, the, the disciples that were closest to Jesus kind of wanted some inside information. When is this going to take place? When is this going to happen? You see, this prophecy was fulfilled. In 70 AD, the Romans did actually come and drive out all of the Jewish people out of Jerusalem. There had been another rebellion, and the Romans had had enough, and they destroyed the temple. They leveled every stone. The temp In fact, today, there's still some people who would like to rebuild the temple. It's not quite possible where there's a, a, a mosque there right now. But there's discussion about where exactly the temple mount is because they so leveled it, they're not even exactly sure where the temple was on the temple mount they made i mean the temple mount remained but the foundation of the actual temple was completely destroyed when will these things happen what will be the sign that they are to take place and jesus launches into a chapter long discussion he gives a very very long speech about not only what they would be facing but really the entire end times the entire like what will happen in the future and I don't know, some of you guys, this is where you're like, wait, what? A sermon about the end times? A sermon about what's going to happen to you? You get all excited. For me, it's not always my favorite, but I think it's important for us to realize. Jesus launches into a chapter that really is very in line with what is known as biblical prophecy and apocalyptic literature. This is throughout the scriptures. We see it especially in the book of Daniel in the Old Testament or the book of Revelation in the New Testament. And these things typically concerned end-time cataclysmic events. You know, the stuff we see in the movies. It's like, oh no, another disaster movie. Yeah, but the end-time type of disasters. They are often very symbolic and have fantastical description. I mean, it is often wild and it often involves like beasts symbolizing nations or other things that we're not quite sure about. It often contains messages of warning, like, hey, be ready, but also exhortation, like, this is what you're supposed to do. And finally, they occasionally possess, like, references that have multiple realizations. In other words, sure, Jesus is talking about the destruction of the temple in 70 AD, but he might also be talking about some events that this would be fulfilled later in his return. So, I'm going to invite you to do something this morning that's a little different. Would you read along with me? We're going to read this whole revelation of Jesus, this whole discussion of Jesus, and I want you to see what sticks out into your mind. You just read along and see how the Holy Spirit has something jump out to you, and then I'm going to show you what I hope you picked up on. Let's see. Here we go. Jesus said, verse 5, watch out that no one deceives you, because many will come in my name claiming I am he, and they will deceive many. Verse 7, and when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, 
Don't be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation is going to rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. But these are the beginnings of the birth pains. Now you must be on your guard because you will be handed over to local councils and you'll be flogged in their synagogues. And on account of me, you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. And the gospel must first be preached to all nations. Now, whenever you're arrested and brought on trial, don't worry beforehand about what you're going to say. Just say whatever is given to you, for it is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. Now, brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. Everyone will hate you because of me, but the one who stands firm till the end will be saved. Now, whenever you see the abomination that causes desolation, standing where it does not belong, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one who's on the housetop go down to enter the house and take anything out. Let no one in the field go back to get their cloak. How dreadful it will be for those in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that this will not take place in winter because those days of distress will be unequaled from the beginning when God created the world until now. And they'll be never to be equaled again. Now, if the Lord had not cut short those days, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, whom he has chosen, he has shortened them. And at that time, if anyone says to you, look, here's the Messiah, or look, there he is, don't believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear, and they will perform signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. So be on your guard. I've told you everything ahead of time. But in those days, following that distress, the sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky, and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, people will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory, and he will send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds and the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. Now learn the lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that it is near, right at the door. Truly I tell this generation, or truly I tell you, this generation will not pass away until all of these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. But about that day or the hour, nobody knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. So be on your guard. Be alert. You do not know when that time will come. Now, it's like a man. He, he's going away, and he leaves his house, uh, and he puts his servants in charge, each with his assigned task. He tells one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch, because I tell you... Uh, do not, you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether it's in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, don't let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. All right.
What if it's quiz time? <laughs> what did you see? <laughs> I'm going to hand out your papers. I'm going to turn them in. What, what did you notice? Did you see some things that Jesus seemed to repeat over and over again? Did you see the things that he emphasized? Did you hear those words of exhortation? Did your ears begin to perkle, uh, tingle? Did you say, wars and rumors are wars? Wait a second. I've heard of some wars right now. Wait a second. We're talking about rumors of wars. Earthquakes? Didn't we just have another one in Syria? I mean, famines in various places? We seem to always be dealing with... Is our fig tree starting to... We have a fig tree out there. It's not, it's not tender yet. But are, is this, are these the tender signs of our fig tree? Is it, is it right at the door? We begin to be nervous. We begin to worry. Well, here's what I hope you notice from this passage. Something that comes out over and over and over again. Jesus says these words. Don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. Look, he starts the whole discourse out with that. In verse 5, he says, Jesus said to them, watch out that no one deceives you. That no one deceives you. Now, what are we possibly deceived by? Well, I think the very first thing that we are often deceived by when it comes to discussions about the end times or discussions about prophecy, the first thing is we are deceived by wrong questions. Wait, what? Wrong questions. It's the questions that we are all worried about. It's the questions that we are most concerned about. It's the things that, gosh, we kind of want that insider knowledge, right? Uh, Jesus, um, when are you coming back? Isn't that what the disciples said? Look what they came to Jesus with. When Jesus said, hey, not one stone will be left upon another, that they were very quick to say, hey, Jesus, is that like next week or is that like 10 years from now? Because I don't want to like invest in the uh, temple stock because if I know that the temple's going down, hey, if I could have a little insider trading, when is the stock market going to crash? Then I could, you know, that would really help out. I could pull my money out just at the right time. Jesus, if I knew when you were coming back, if I knew when the end is coming, well, then I would make sure I'd get right with Jesus right before he came back, and I'd really get to living for God that week. Sometimes we want that last. We want to know the answers. We want to know when something is going to take place. That's what it says in verse 4. When are these going to happen, the disciples had? I remember in my freshman year in college, all of our people at our school, all of the college students, we got mailed a little booklet. It came in our mailboxes. Every single one of us got one. 90 reasons why Jesus is coming in 1990. And this guy had 90 reasons from the Bible. It's got to be in 1990. He quotes this. We know we're not going to know the day and the hour, but it doesn't say we won't know the minute or the week or something like that. And he's like, he's like, and he's trying to tell me. And we're all reading. I mean, a bunch of us in the dorm, we're all reading it. We're kind of like, I don't know. This is weird. Well, yeah, I guess he's right about that. I don't know. The next year, we got another booklet. It had 90 crossed out and 91 reasons why I made a mistake, and it was really 1991 or something like that, right? Um, Why it was one more. Okay. We all want to know. Look what Jesus says, verse 32. But about that day and the hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard. Be alert. You do not know when that time will come. Now, some of you are like, wait a second. There's something Jesus doesn't know? 
I kind of thought Jesus knew all things, right? We, we, we see Jesus where he's, we even saw last week, I think, or the week before, when Jesus uh, saw the woman uh, there in the temple courts putting her offerings into the temple, and it said he knew that she was a widow and she put in all that she had to live on. How did Jesus know that? Jesus seems to always know right through people. In John chapter 4, he speaks to the, to, the, the woman at the well of Sychar and says, yeah, I, I know you don't have a husband. You've actually had five husbands, and the man you're living with is not your husband how does he know these things is there jesus seems to have that miraculous insight from god but here's something that jesus know, doesn't seem to know he says not the angels nor the son but only the father has this knowledge what are we talking about how does jesus not know something we have to remember that in philippians chapter 2 paul explains that in the incarnation jesus limits himself jesus Philippians chapter 2, he who in very nature God didn't consider equality with God something to be held on to or grasped or used to his own advantage, but he made himself nothing, take on the very nature of a servant, being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. It's like Jesus took off some of his humanity or some of his divinity to become fully man he limited himself to a particular time particular space and apparently even for particular pieces of knowledge and that's the only way i can understand that how would jesus not know this but he says look the father knows it so you don't be deceived by worrying about well how exactly is this going to come about do you think that it's going to be russia or china or the united states where will the antichrist go Sometimes we're consumed by the wrong questions. The answers that Jesus gives actually points us to the right questions. And one thing he wants us to know is, don't be deceived by false messiahs. By false messiahs. Um, Jesus says this in verse 5, Watch out so that no one deceives you, because many will come in my name, verse 6, claiming that I am he, or I am the Messiah, or I am Jesus, or I am the chosen one, and they will deceive many. Now you're thinking, really? Are there that many people that would come about claiming to be the Messiah? Yes! In Jesus' own day, there were many people, we have records from uh, different historians, Josephus and others, of people who would claim to be these various messiahs, these various leaders. In fact, often these Jewish revolts happened by someone claiming to be someone special, and often sometimes being messianic. We see this in the book of Acts in the New Testament when Paul and Barnabas go to the island of Paphos. There's a guy named Bar-Jesus or son of Jesus. Now, it probably wasn't meaning the Jesus we're talking about. Yeshua was a common name, but he was called a sorcerer and he claimed to be someone powerful. Also, in the book of Acts, uh, when Philip goes to Samaria, right, in chapter 8, there was, a, there was a guy who claimed to be a sorcerer, right, Simon Magus, right, this guy who, who claimed to have these special powers and, and the people called him the great power. There are often these people in Jesus' day and in the time of the early church that these things very much were fulfilled right then. And there have been false messiahs ever since. We just had one of these remembrances of the tragedy that happened in Waco, Texas, right? Um, where a group of people, I mean, there was death and the FBI. I mean, it was a disaster of all that happened in there. But at the center of it was a man named David Koresh who claimed to be Jesus, who claimed to be the Messiah, who claimed to be the promised one. This stood out to me so poignantly when I went to on a mission trip uh, in West Africa and Senegal. I'd memorized one verse of scripture in, in Wolof. 
And while uh, my partners and I, we were there, we were talking um, and sharing the good news with, a, with a, a group of young men who were there outside a mosque, and they had a particular religious leader there called a marabou. And the marabou was definitely like their spiritual guide, sort of Islam, sort of mixture with sort of like traditional religions for that area. And I took the opportunity to, the conversation kind of got away because I was sort of left out after a while because I didn't speak uh, the language fluently. But at one point I was able to share my one verse of scripture that I memorized. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. Now there were a lot of different conversations happening as I was reciting this, this scripture, but everybody froze. And the people we were talking to got silent and looked at me. And he said, what did you just say? And so, you know, I've got my one scripture, and I repeated it again. And he said, that's what my marabou says. He says that he's the way, the truth, and the life. And no, no man comes to God except through him. I said, well, Jesus said it first. Only one of them's got to be going to be right, because they can't both be the only way to God. People claim to be false messiahs. They claim to be these false. Don't believe it. At the end, verse 21, at that time, if anyone says to you, look, here's the messiah, or look, there he is, don't believe it. Verse 22, for false messiahs and false prophets will appear, and they're going to perform signs and what? Wait, whoa, wait, what? Wait, stop. False prophets, false messiahs, and actually perform signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. So be on your guard. This kind of spooks me a little bit. Because I always think, well, the evidence for it being truly God is that there are true miracles, true miracles. But actually, counterfeit miracles, false powers, powers, that will be part of what will happen. There will be some that even might have miraculous powers. Don't believe in them. In Revelation chapter 16, it talks about these demonic spirits. And in verse 14, it says, there are demonic spirits that perform signs and they go out from the, to the kings of the whole world to gather them for battle on the great day of God Almighty. What? Evil demonic spirits doing miraculous powers? Yeah. Look in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. The Apostle Paul speaking about this lawless one or the Antichrist perhaps. It says the coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with how Satan works. He will use all sorts of displays of power through signs and wonders that serve the lie. And all the ways that wickedness deceives those who are perishing. The lie. Lots of lies. Miraculous power, sure. Maybe even convincing philosophical arguments, sure. There anything that would serve the lie, anything that would cause deception, don't be deceived. False miracles, false signs to support false prophets and even false messiahs. Don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. In this life, I'm hanging out and waiting for one guy, Jesus. And you know how I know it's going to be really him and not somebody else? He told me. Look at verse 26, and he tells you. At that time, that time, people will see the Son of Man. And that's Jesus' reference for himself coming from the book of Daniel. That time, the Son of Man, you will see him coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And he will send his angels to gather the elect from the four winds, from the, winds, the ends of the earth to the ends of the heaven. When Jesus comes back, you're not going to have to wonder, gosh, maybe... I, 
I don't know. He's got miraculous powers. I don't know. That was pretty amazing. I don't know. He says some things that seem true. I don't know. There's not going to be an I don't know. When Jesus comes back, everyone will know. It'll be like, oh yeah, that's him. Oh yeah, the clouds have ripped apart. Oh yeah, there he is in great power and glory. Oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. That, that's him. He's, okay, I'm ready. I'm in. Don't be deceived. Don't be deceived by counterfeit. Don't be deceived by false teachers. Don't be deceived. Know God's word. Jesus told us ahead of time. When he comes back, everyone will know. But the second thing, I hope you saw in this passage, in Jesus' discourse, not only don't be a, a deceived, but don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of these global traumas that are happening. Some of these we see in the world today. He says, but when you hear of wars, rumors of wars, don't be alarmed. Those things are going to happen, but the end is still to come. There will be earthquakes, he says, in various places, and famines. These are the beginnings of the birth pains. This is all stuff that's going to happen. And look in verse 24 and 25. But in those days, um, following that distress, I mean, of the wars and rumors of wars and famines and earthquakes, in those days following the distress, the sun will be darkened, the moon won't give its light, the stars will fall from the sky, the heaven light bodies will be shaken. Whew. And verse 30, truly, I tell you, this generation will not pass away until all these things have happened. Bad stuff is coming. Bad stuff has happened. Truly, wars, rumors of wars, famines. We've seen this throughout human history, and very often people get all upset. I mean, certainly people thought that the end of the world was there when World War I was happening, and when World War II was happening, and when the crisis of today, people get in panic. Don't be deceived, but also don't be alarmed. These things are going to happen. They will continue to happen. Here's what's a fascinating verse. Did you catch this one? Look at verse 30. This generation will not pass away until all these things have happened. Now, that, that, that confuses us sometimes, right? Because this generation, what does it mean? Bible scholars have wrestled with that one, and some have said, maybe Jesus got it wrong, because obviously his generation kind of was gone, and um, <clears throat> it didn't all happen, and the end did not come. Some believe that Jesus was just talking about the destruction of, of Jerusalem uh, in, in 70 AD. It's called the little apocalypse theory, that, that there were some big things that were going to happen right then in his generation, but the end was still to come. Maybe, maybe it was that. But here's the deal. Jesus says it this way, truly I tell you. He's using this emphasis of like, this is absolutely the truth. And follows it up with verse 31. Heaven and earth have passed away, but my words will never pass away. And honestly, though generation has been used differently, it seems to be talking about a generation, like that group of people. Sometimes it's used to be a couple generations in some literature of the times, but most of the time it is just like we're using the word generation, that group. So what does it mean? It seems to be that all of these things, maybe not in their totality, but all of these things in their kind. Wait, what do I mean? Um, <clears throat> in philosophy class, we talk about tokens and type identity theories and all this kind of stuff. But it's, it's, it's totality versus kind. All of these things, earthquakes and famines, we see those occurring even in the book of Acts in Jesus' generation. We certainly saw the destruction of Jerusalem and wars and rumors of wars happening in that generation. All of this type of thing will happen in that generation. But also, they are going to continue throughout until we reach the end. They are not just 
at the end, and they were not just in that generation. It's all of these things. This generation won't pass away until all of these types of things have happened is probably the way to understand that passage. So don't be afraid when we're experiencing them too. That first generation of Christians, yeah, they experienced it. But we will too. And we don't have to be afraid. We need to be on guard. But not only afraid of global trauma, but did you notice how he mentioned persecutions? Did you notice how he mentioned persecutions? You must be on your guard, he says. Why? Because you're going to be handed over to local councils, flogged in their synagogues, and you'll stand before governors and kings as a witness so that the gospel will be preached. Be on your guard. The end time things are not to be afraid of, but they are often opportunities for us to be a witness of the grace of Jesus in our lives. That's what he says because in verse 11 he says this, whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, don't worry. Don't worry about what you're going to say. Don't worry about how you're going to defend yourself. Don't worry. Don't be afraid because you just say whatever is given to you for it's not you speaking, but it's the Holy Spirit. Okay, brothers and sisters, that is not a promise that you, everything that comes out of your mouth is from the Holy Spirit. You know that, right? <clears throat> I think some of you might need to be reminded. Sometimes I need to be reminded about that. Well, it's the Holy Spirit speaking. Well, maybe not. <laughs> maybe if you're allowing the Holy Spirit to speak, absolutely. But, hey, but in these times of great distress, these times of great pressure, these times of persecution, God is promising that he would guide, that he would help us. In times when horrible things, brother betraying brother even unto death, children rebelling against parents, everyone hating you because of me, yeah, don't be surprised that you're not the popular one. Don't be surprised if there's persecution at work. Don't be surprised if you get passed over or looked over or your research or your you know, credential, if your stuff does not always get favor because of Jesus. On that day, you are blessed. On that day, you are blessed. Finally, don't be afraid of the final evils of the end times. Don't be afraid. Things like when you see the abomination that causes desolation, standing where it does not belong, let the reader understand. That's always one of those ones where I'm like, yeah, let the reader understand, because I don't think I understand that one. What's the abomination that causes desolation? What is he talking about here? Well, actually, uh, Jesus is using the language from an Old Testament book, the book of Daniel. In the book of Daniel, there were some prophecies about a terrible time period that the people of God would face. When in the Seleucid Empire, there was a guy named, uh, and, uh, and what was his name? Um, Epiphanes, right? Um, and and Antiochus, that's it. Antio I always like, I always get his name. I want to call him Andronicus, but Antiochus Epiphanes, Antiochus the Fourth. This guy, oh, he had, they, they were over ruling over the, the Jewish people at the time, and he decided that he wanted to set up an idol and a, and a worship altar to Zeus right in the middle of the Jewish temple to God. This ultimately launched a revolt. This ultimately caused the people to rebel against him. This was a terror. I mean, this, but it was called this, this abomination that causes desolation. It's ruined the temple. What is that standing for? Well, once again, not sure. Could have been a reference to the time period when the Romans were putting all their flags to, of their different Roman legions, and, and often those were pointing to their gods. 
or it could be pointing to a future time, a future time when there's an antichrist-type figure that, that, that's calling attention to worship himself. The Apostle Paul says it this way in verse 3 of 2 Thessalonians, don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, a man doomed to destruction. Who is that? Well, we don't know exactly, but he's described this way, verse 4. He will oppose and exalt himself over everything that is caused, called God or is worshipped. And he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming to be God. An abomination that causes desolation. So when the lawlessness one is revealed... That might be pretty scary to us, but look at how Paul reminds us. When the lawless one is revealed, um, whom the Lord will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. Yeah. This overthrow by the breath of his mouth. Sometimes, I, I don't know if you are into these, but I, I got into these a little scared for a while. These little books, do you remember these? And, you know, the, the, about the, the end time kind of, you know, they, all of these and, um, you know, the Left Behind series. Anybody read those little books? And they were all like, oh. And I would get all from, or, or there was this one called About the Darkness. And it was all about the end times and the Antichrist. And I would get so fearful and I'd be like, oh, so afraid. Look at how Paul talks about it. Antichrist, the end times. When Jesus comes, he just overthrows it with the breath of his mouth. Poof. The Lord is in control. We don't need to be deceived, and we don't need to be afraid. The Lord is in control. The Lord is in control. That doesn't mean we don't try to escape, and that doesn't mean we don't flee. In fact, Jesus told them to flee to the mountains in verse 14. Uh, if you see that, flee. Get out of town. Get out of the way. Don't go back to your, your houses. Don't go back and get your clothes. Get out. Verse 18. He says, man, those days will be unequaled from the beginning of time. They are bad. But don't worry. For the sake of the elect, what does it say in verse 20? That God has shortened them. God has shortened them. God determines. God is in control. Our Savior, our King, He is the one that holds it together. So my last point, and this one's been a little longer than I thought it was going to be, so don't fall asleep. Oh, wait, that's the point. Don't fall asleep. Don't fall asleep. That's what Jesus actually says. He said, it's like a man going away. He leaves his house with his servants, and he gives each one his assigned task, one at the door to keep watch. What is that person supposed to do? Keep watch. So I say to you in verse 35, therefore, because you don't know when the owner of the house will come back, whether an evening or midnight, rooster crows or at dawn, if he comes suddenly, don't let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. What is this sermon telling us? Jesus wanted us to know. He wanted us to know that these days of difficulty will come. There may be days of bank failures. <laughs> there may be days of wars and rumors of wars. There may be days of, of disease and famine and, and earthquakes. There may be disease of great difficulty and trial. There will be these days. There will be these days of deceivers and false teachers and people that try to leave you, lead you astray. Hey, guys, don't worry. Don't be afraid because our king has us in the palm of his hand. But also, don't go to sleep. 
Don't just allow the world to pass by. Be on guard. Be watchful so that you can protect yourself from both fears and from deception, but also because you are the light of the world. You are those that make Jesus known. Now, some of you today, maybe this is like, oh my goodness, I don't know what to do with this. Well, the first, if you don't belong to Jesus, it's time to belong to Jesus. You want to be his when he comes back for us. You want to be his and under the protection of his care. You need to be his. He has already purchased for you salvation through his death on the cross and his resurrection. Jesus the Messiah has come, and he is coming back. You want to be his. And for those of you who are followers of Jesus, listen to that last part. He's given each of us our assigned task. So watch. If God has called you to watch with this community because you've got an assigned task here in this body of believers or a different body of believers, fulfill your task. You watch where God has assigned you. If it's serving, teaching the children, if it's serving uh, with the youth, if it's serving in, in the music, if it's serving, you continue to work and to watch and do the task that God has given you to do until the day of Christ Jesus. Today I'm going to be up in front. David's going to be up here too. If you need to, uh, to join this church, you come on. You join this church. If you need to say yes to Jesus and respond to him, you come on up and we'll share with you how you can make Jesus the Savior and Lord of your life. You respond as God is calling you. Uh, Scott's going to lead us in one more song. And as he does, you respond as Jesus is calling you. He is the one who meets every need.